This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Hello, hello, and welcome to a very, very special episode, the first of the typical end-of-year podcast that you hear from me on Don't Do This Podcast. I am your host, Sam LaCrosse. Can you dig it? I can. And here we go. Another year, another... I don't know what I was going to say there. Another year, another year, I guess. Okay. So we have about... Well, this is coming out in the first part of December, so we have a good... We have a month left, but I, I figured I would... You know, I, I like to kind of get a little bit of wiggle room in the last part of the year to kind of, you know, make some last minute adjustments and do all those types of things. So we are in the home stretch, ladies and gentlemen. By the time you were hearing this, you'll probably have three weeks, excuse me, left to go before you go, oh, fuck, I got to get my shit in order for 2023. But before we get to 2023, we have to obviously recap 2022 and what a year it was in many, many ways for me, for you, for the surrounding ethos of the world. I, I guess I don't really know how to put that, but the surrounding ethos of the world Every year is a big year, and I hate people that say like everything is always something because everything is not always something, but years are pretty, pretty big deals, and they're interesting to look back on and kind of see what can be reaped from them both personally in the world and a lot of other different things, and I think that in, in this sense, in kind of the way that we like to look at things here on this platform, it's, it's very, very interesting that we can have a very wide-ranging dialogue about a lot of different things that are going on in the world and really kind of apply that to what is happening in our lives. And I think that's what this is trying to do. It's trying to take some things that we talked about this year in my content, my podcast, my book, my blog, everything going on, and internalize them to see kind of what we can do in terms of, you know, looking towards the future, to learn, le learning from the past to look towards the future. And we have some exciting new stuff coming out. And I have some new exciting, exciting stuff coming out, which is going to be super, 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 super fun. And we are going to be getting into that later in the podcast. But now, we have to recap 2022 before we look ahead to 2023. So without further ado, let's get right into it. And my fellow Americans, all seven of you, we're gathered here this whatever time of day you're listening to the recap of another year of Don't Do This Media. We've loved, we've lost, we've fallen flat on our faces while simultaneously shitting ourselves. And we're going to go through all of it. So let's get to it. 2022 was, like all years, a very bizarre and interesting one. We saw many things go from bad to worse, and I'd argue we saw just as much, if not more, go from good to better. The bad, as always, is easy to point out. Human beings are inherently biased towards bad things, things that can harm us if we aren't careful. We should be very grateful our biology is oriented to us towards this. Our inherent skepticism, particularly when it comes to things such as institutional leadership and power, 
is our greatest weapon we have towards carving out the truth from the muck of lies that surround us constantly. I believe that the biggest shift in my mentality this year has been a result of that inherent skepticism. I've been quite an irritable fuck to a lot of people, whether they read my content, listened to my podcast, or bought my book. The intentional inconvenience that colors my writing has been the source of both my greatest enjoyment and my greatest strength. I love to question things. I love to know why people say the things they say and do the things they do. Moreover, I love when people attack those people who do this. That's the easiest way to sort out the liars, in my estimation. That said, this year has been filled with much change in the way I see a lot of things. I've simultaneously leaned more into the beliefs that I've had while strangely straying farther away from the tribe that apparently but fraudulently follows those same beliefs. I'm both a pariah in a familiar land and a welcome presence in an unfamiliar one. This has been a very confusing, liberating, and terrifying state of mind to be in, and I hope to experience much more of it. That mindset resulted in a lot of good things that happened throughout the duration of this year. I believe my writing got much stronger. My ideas got much more dense and robust. I think my podcast improved dramatically, most of which was attributed to the wonderful and sometimes not so wonderful individuals that I had come on to discuss various things with me. My first book, Value Economics, a passion project I had been working on for three years, was a paradox. On one hand, I was incredibly proud of it. I did exactly what I'd hoped to do for those that read it. Throw a baseball through the kitchen window of how people see values. Every conversation I had with each individual person was different. I never had the same one twice. We talked about nearly everything under the sun that pertained to the most important topic of all, our individual values. It was thrilling. That made the two-time number one Amazon bestseller status in the Forbes article I was blessed enough to achieve seem valid. On the opposite hand, the book was a catastrophic and colossal failure of the highest order imaginable. I lost 99.5% of a huge amount of money in that I invested in the book. I'm constantly overdrawing my bank accounts to pay my bills. I've de most definitely taken a massive shit all over my credit score. A couple of Karens wrote nasty reviews on me and my Amazon page. I've lost several family members and close friends who disagreed with what I had to say throughout the book. Although hopefully that is, well actually not, that's, that's maybe over-exaggerated a bit, but some people. A couple of days before I sat down to write this, I had my first shit is starting to get real conversation with myself about my material. How long can I sustain this? How long can I keep this up? Is it worth it to continue? In the face of so much loss and personal despair over how much I had lost from doing this, I felt the need to have a real conversation with myself about what would all end up meaning should I continue doing this. And for the first time, I had a serious thought about closing everything down, hanging my jersey up in the rafters of my small and insignificant stadium I called this career and moved on, moving on to something else. And to be frank, it was definitely an appealing option. So much time is sunk into doing this. I've lost out on many opportunities to go out and do the things that most people my age do, particularly in a city as fun as Austin, Texas. I had already blown three years and nothing had happened. My 15 minutes of fame haven't started ticking. My big break is yet to come. And who's to say it ever would? It's not at all guaranteed. I'd be much better off doing something more certain, of allocating my resources towards a more specific and surefire venture of profit. But no matter how much this appeals to me, it equally, and oftentimes more so, disgusts me. There is no greater sign of hopelessness than willingly doing what makes you miserable. Nearly everything that I could easily indulge in should I stop doing what I'm doing makes me miserable. I'm not a real estate nerd, I don't give a shit about cryptocurrency, and I sure as fuck don't get off on going out with random strangers and drinking myself into a stupor. So when the trade-off was realized and weighed, I realized what I tried to get everyone who read my book to realize. It's okay to value what you value, so long as that thing is a good value. I've gotten a lot of good value out of what I've built, even if it is small and insignificant. 
I'm a writer. Uh, it's who I am, or at least who I built myself up to be. Even though they're not wi that widely circulated, 100 uninterrupted blogs and podcasts isn't a small feat. Neither is a published book. They're certainly not big feats, but they're not their opposite either. And that's a win at this point in my estimation. I've thought a lot about purpose this year, specifically after I hit 25 in October. I'll also be going to a conference with my men's group in Dallas this year. Where we'll dive into that more. I'm very excited because the work I've put in gives me reasons to be. I have both a lot of optimism and a lot of fear. Both are good because they mean that I'm continuing to push myself towards where I think I'm meant to be. So I'm not going to stop, at least for a little while longer. I have exciting things planned, all of which I'll explain at the end of this post. But first, however, we have our five takeaways. The five takeaways, if you remember, from last year's address was a new concept I introduced to show five core ideas that I felt shaped my perspective on my content and in the culture last year. I found it to be a remarkable exercise and very helpful, and this year was no different. Taking in these five trends, I hope, should help all of us orient properly going into 2023 of what we hope to accomplish, achieve, and strive towards. It also fuels our necessary skepticism that we must keep burning to hold mo the, most of the people that control portions of our lives accountable. Much more importantly, it fuels our skepticism towards ourselves. Without that, we succumb to both ideology and idolatry, both of which are incredibly toxic and undesirable. Thank you all once again for sticking with me. I promise I'm doing everything I can to make it worth it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, to take a page from our friend Matt Walsh, let's get to our five headline or takeaways. Yeah, let's go with takeaways. I think it's, yeah, takeaways. That was a poorly timed joke that I, I don't know if you guys have picked up on this now, but I, like I write things and they sound funny in writing form when I try to put them into words. They sound really, really shitty. That was one of those moments, so I apologize about that. <laughs> Takeaway number one. Stop trying to rationalize irrationality. It seems that the more removed we get from 2020, the more we seem to think that the overall bizarreness of that year will never again repeat itself. Strangely enough, it has, albeit in different ways. Being two years removed from the year the world shut down and our collective insanity was released from Pandora's box, I believe that the main lesson we can take away from that year, at least for now, is that, just like Pandora's box, there is no putting the vices of humanity back inside of it. A very wise former substitute teacher of mine once told me that the best way to deal with the craziness of our world and the mostly idiotic people that run it was by laughing at, the, at it and them. It's sage advice that's very fitting for our time. Too often, I sadly see people look towards their things that constantly fail them, the things that stray far away from the realm of sanity, and attempt to save them. I understand their reasonings, as they come in most forms as people they can dearly care about. I empathize with them, and I see where they're coming from. But to empower them in their delusions by affirming their decisions to rationalize the irrational is a highly irresponsible endeavor. Insanity, it's said, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Insanity, therefore, is looking at the irrational and expecting them to cease doing so by rationalizing it. It's a drastic mistake, one that so many people have had the unfortunate habit of falling into. Knowing when something cannot be salvaged is equally important as knowing when it can be salvaged. It's crucial to know both, because there are people and things that deserve and do not deserve to be saved at a given moment. If you cannot reason with whatever that thing is, if that thing does not serve you as much as you want to serve it, that is when you should do your best to cut ties and move on to something that does. Sunk costs are dreadful things, but they are even more difficult to stomach in the face of the false hope that they can become better. The sooner you rid yourself of the false hope that adorns your desire to see only your desired outcome, 
The sooner you will be able to purge your mind of the insanity that it unknowingly comforts to move on to what actually matters in your life. You and the people you care for will find it much better after you make that decision to do so. Takeaway two, the best way to keep sane is to wait and see. In addition to producing my own podcast, I also listen to a lot of podcasts. It's how I absorb most of my current events and news and gain new inspiration for ideas. With all the traveling and long rides in the car that I do, they come in handy when I want someone to keep me company. I love music and I need to listen to it more, but there's nothing like a great discussion of a great idea and preferably multiple ideas that stimulates my mind the way that those do. However, due to the sheer volume of listening that I've done and do, these podcasts tend to pile up in my queue, sometimes as many as 50 at a time. It's an overwhelming number, particularly when you realize the time sink that inevitably comes from delving that much time into other people's brains. Furthermore, given the content that I consume, it can rile up some pretty intense emotions surrounding some people and topics that I'm passionate about learning from and about. But given my OCD ass, I mostly can't pick and choose what I listen to. It has to be in order of when I put them in my queue. This has, surprisingly, been one of the most healthy ways that I've ever garnered inspiration for my ideas. It's an automatic way to filter out hot takes and put a lid on the steam that will most likely pour out of my brain if I go into something with a mindset of emotion versus a mindset of reasonability. Most of the time when I listen to podcasts, they come out around two months after their original air date, when all the dust is settled and I can see more clearly. This is, as far as I can see, one of the largest reasons why everyone seems to be going batshit nuts all the time. We consume information and content far too quickly. We don't give our slow thinking brains time to work out. We succumb to the two E's and allow our minds to short circuit when we don't get what we want. We don't give ourselves the grace to allow time to creep in and settle our heads down before they end up painting your window with your brains on your morning commute to work. This concept can be applied equally and fairly to many other additional concepts surrounding your intake of information. Instead of watching the nightly updates of the news, try watching it in the morning after it airs, like I do. Try to do it early in the morning so that you don't have anything clouding your judgment. Turn off the notifications to most of the apps on your phone. Even if you don't think that whatever the thing is can wait, it probably can. We just said that insanity is when you keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. And I'd like to twist the definition by saying that insanity is when you keep doing the same thing as fast as you can over and over again and expecting your brain not to be shoved into an uncovered wall socket. Our minds are the most powerful part of our bodies by a long shot. Taking care of them by not bashing them into a wall with a frantic and furious-paced information overload is one way to send it flying off a cliff. So, whenever you, quote, just need to know what's going on, ask yourself, do you really? Can it wait? Is there something more productive that you, I could be doing right now rather than to freak out about Dinesh D'Souza's latest hashtag stop the steal claim or some state you've never visited mandating transgender bathrooms? Odds are there definitely is. Odds are you give your brain a much-deserved service if you'd let it rest before diving into whatever your fast and feeling brain is telling you. Takeaway three, you're always victimizing yourself more than you think. In April of this year, I joined a men's group run by a famous online podcaster and the founder of a luxury menswear company. I bought into the group because I needed a new suit, and a new suit got you access into the community of men. I decided to give it a try. I had always struggled socially, even among guys, and wanted to at least dip my feet in to see what it was like. The group and the men inside of it turned out to be much better than I anticipated, even with my expectations already pretty low. They're unlike a group of men that I've encountered at that scale. They're ambitious, nice, and successful. 
they're value-oriented and all driven towards becoming better, at least for the most part of the guys I interact with. It's been a pleasure to see them grow and see myself grow as a result of interacting with and getting to know them. One of the biggest revelations I came to is how much, to my prior ignorance, I was making myself the victim of my own story instead of the hero. The issue came to head particularly around women. When I realized how entitled I was towards my sense that I shouldn't automatically be seen as desirable by them. While I still don't, and never will, sacrifice my self-respect and my greater purpose in life for women, expecting them to fall on my feet when I was still falling short in so many areas was completely and utterly bonkers. My self-respect and self-value have grown a lot, and especially grew in 2022. I'm very grateful for both of those things. But what we all need to realize more is the pattern of stories that we tell ourselves in our heads. Are we painting an honest picture? Are we actually doing what we think we're doing, acting the way we're acting and speaking in the manner in which you should be speaking? And hopefully for you, the answer is yes. But I have an intuition that no matter how much you try, you're not taking nearly enough ownership and responsibility to live a life of fulfillment, meaning, and success. You're always making a mountain out of a molehill that is created strictly from that of your own self-pity. It doesn't matter what area it is, but you can say for certain that it's happening in your life somewhere. All that's left for you to do is humble yourself, put your ego to the side, and dig deep into your psyche to see what that area could be. A good way to measure this is the way that you communicate with yourself. Who do you place blame upon for most of the issues that you face? Who do you go to for either affirmation or constructive criticism? Do you find yourself talking down about yourself and the people that care about you? Do you see your life getting better or getting worse? When you're honest and get yourself into a position to see what your life and your self-victimhood is actually doing to your life, you could be stunned with the lack of accountability that's causing both to suck. You're almost always victimizing yourself more than you are. Consequently, you're almost always hindering yourself more than you are. When you do the work to remove these unforeseen roadblocks from your mind, you clear them so that you can move forward in these areas. Victimhood is dangerous because it stunts your growth. It leads you to take less control and be more passive about the way you approach living your life. When you do both of those things, you place yourself on the weak side of the toughest gap by surrendering your sovereignty to someone that isn't you. Getting rid of your victim's mentality is like ripping off a band-aid. It hurts like a motherfucker when the sting starts to be felt. But after a while, the environment around it gives it the life to heal itself, and you. When you take responsibility for all things that are directly owned by you to fix, you'll be amazed at how much growing you still have to do. And using that growth, you can begin to process you becoming, to become a better human being, something the world needs many more of. Takeaway four, staying put and rooted is the antidote to most of your problems. Since my senior year of high school, back in 2016, I had only lived in the same physical location for as many as 11 months at a time. Between the summer of 2016 until I moved to Austin in May of 2021, I had lived in 17 different places, an average of just under three per year. I had lived in these places for as little as three weeks for as long as 11 months, with the rest usually floating from one month to nine. So, needless to say, it was bizarre signing on a lease for a second year, locking myself in for one more year of paying someone else for my living. I didn't know what to expect. I was always on the go, constantly fleeing from place to place in search of something I didn't know how to name. I had traveled a ton during that stretch as well, searching lands far and wide for that tricky and ever-elusive thing that I could not name. I have a sense that many young people in modern America do this. I think it's an innately human trait to desire an escape from whatever our established norms were, particularly as we grew up. The people like me who grew up in a working-to-middle-class life desperately learned for the hustle and bustle of the big city. Those who grew up claustrophobic from their neighbors and blared in the face of bright lights 
yearn for the quiet and small town nature of suburban and rural America. We desperately seek what is unfamiliar, what is new, in the hopes that it will give us something, the one thing that we cannot name, the one thing that everyone seems so desperately to want. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with this. Human beings are hardwired to strive, to stretch their domains far into the unknown and attempt to reap a reward that they, ca they cannot name. A lot of the time, we went on these expeditions not knowing what we would gain or what kind of treasure we would bring back with us. We had our aspirations, our hopes, our dreams. The one thing we were missing was certainty. This makes our expeditions ever more admirable, ever more appealing to those who want to do the same. On one condition. I found that, in my desperate attempts to find whatever it is I was seeking, the one thing that would always kill the momentum I had was the next leg of the journey. I felt this especially when I moved to Boston. I was just, or moved from Boston, excuse me. I was just starting to get into a groove. I met a girl on a dating app that I really liked. I knew where all my favorite spots to get food were. I was settling into the still very uncomfortable social surroundings that I was looking to find within myself. I knew that I had to move, and I'm incredibly glad that I did, but starting over, even though it was better, still wasn't good for me to do for a 16th time. However, when I signed on the dotted line for my lease in Austin the second time, the feeling I got was a surprising one. A weight being lifted off my shoulders. For the first time in five years, I felt that I could completely relax in a soothing bliss of permanence. I didn't have to chase anymore. I didn't have to run, to scramble away, and fervently cling to whatever life preserver would find me in the next space. Moving to Austin has been one of the best decisions of my life. I have good communities filled with good people in multiple places. I got to know God and his blessings more. My job opportunities are through the roof. My book publisher is 15 minutes away. A lot of the women are beautiful, nice, and value-oriented. The natural environment is stunning. The food and nightlife are incredible. There is something that soothes me about finally feeling a sense of belonging. I have absolutely no incentive to leave. I would be insane to even entertain doing so. If you're on your way to personal escape, the crucial thing is to know where your safe place is. If you feel it, and it is indeed something that you feel, cling to it. Make the most out of the situation. Let yourself relax. Take the tongue off the roof of your mouth. Slink your shoulders. Breathe. Only then will you be able to soak in the profound immenseness of your discovery. Only then will you know that once you plant your roots, the fruit of your tree can truly start to grow. Takeaway 5. If people insist on being miserable, let them be miserable. In my book, Value Economics, one of the strongest points that thankfully other readers found strong was my emphasis on polarization. I argued, and still argue, that in order to have strong values, one must project a strong sense of polarization. Polarization serves two very important purposes. It pushes those who do not share your values away from you, while simultaneously pulling those who do share their values towards you. This is the ultimate key to see if you have strong values. If you're not polarizing people, you're not doing them right. However, that said, that doesn't mean that all types of polarization are necessarily neutral. There are things that polarize people that should be regarded as bad types of polarization. Hating people for their skin color or demonizing them in the workplace for no other reason than your dislike for them should be seen as ubiquitously heinous traits. Without us noting this, noticing this polarization, we would have no way to acknowledge their badness. One of these ubiquitously heinous traits is that of misery. Miserable people have the uniquely awful ability to suck the life out of you when they walk into a room. They make everything gloomy and negative. They're not fun to be around. 
They depress your creativity and subvert your ability to find joy in something you might otherwise find joyous. It's dreadful to be placed in this type of an environment. So, knowing this, why do so many people seem to want to try to rescue them? I believe it's an inborn human trait to want to rescue people from bad things. We see this all the time. I'm a very big proponent of doing this, and I was especially worse in previous years. But I and many people have found that this does not work. And why is that? First, it robs people of their sovereignty to make their own decisions and take their own actions. It inherently makes them weak. Second, and most importantly for this context, it sucks you into their realm of awfulness. It poisons your brain and makes you a cynical fuck who no one can stand being around, which inherently makes you more miserable. You have no excuse to make your life more miserable than the world can make it at any given moment it so chooses. One of the biggest revelations for me in 2022 was that there are a lot of people out there who have a very difficult time being happy for other people. And I pity these folks immensely. The inability to feel joy when someone else is winning must absolutely suck. It comes from a place of insecurity and lack. Two things an emotionally healthy and stable person never is. While we, we can all wish for them to become better, we should think twice about attempting to rescue them also. You owe no one anything. No one owes you anything. If you're not a person on the righteous, if you're any person on the righteous path to a good life, misery is the poison that can taint whatever it is that you seek. Be very careful in seeking advice from someone who is more and insists on being more miserable than you are. Be very careful in letting them throw you off your momentum and stop your propulsion to where you want to go in life. Toxic people have no place in the lives of winners and those who strive to be so. Now, on to 2023. Going on to my fourth year doing this, I like to think that the changes I bring each year have made the content better. And I believe that to be the case, particularly last year. The Conversation Series episode of Don't Listen to This Podcast were by far the most well-liked and most listened to by viewers. And doing another year of an article every, and doing another year of an article every other week with a more in-depth focus on the topic helped my writing get stronger and stronger. The posts on don'treadthisblog.com will have no change altered to them other than them, hopefully, continuing to approve. And since there are five weekends in January, similar to last January, I'm going to be kicking off a new content with another series. I've planned it out, and it's going to be badass. I think it's going to be very important material, and I can't wait to get into it and share all of it with you. Don't Listen to This Podcast continues to expand in listenership, particularly with the Conversation Series episodes. The audio format for my long-form content is clearly working very well and I'm very glad to see it. I use the podcast as a quality check for a lot of my writing, and it has helped me in additional ways when having conversations with people or debating difficult issues. It's making me, and hopefully all of you, sharper, smarter, and better. On the conversation series, here's where the exciting changes start. With my old blog material running out, I'm going to be upping the conversation series from one per month to two per month, rotating every two weeks of my new original content. Even more excitingly, I'm going to be going in person for my interviews at least once a month. I built quite a network around the state of Texas and plan to use time on the road to explore, deepen those relationships, and get more great conversations out into the world from people who I feel deserve to have an audience. In addition, I'm going to start rolling out both long and short-form video content. My YouTube channel has been dormant for far too long, and I plan to upload both my podcast and interviews in full to my YouTube channel for a visual engagement to match the audio. Additionally, I've bitten the poison pill and I'm going to start creating both TikToks and YouTube shorts to gain more engagement on social media. 
If you're interested, my ads on both are the same as my other socials at Real Sam Lax, R E A L S A M L A X. I'm absolute dog shit about social media, so I'm praying to God that I don't make a total ass and or fool out of myself while trying this. And lastly, value economics was the biggest milestone in my career as a creator thus far. The amount of effort to turn that idea into an actual thing has proven to be the most holistically difficult thing I've ever done. It suffocated my finances, alienated me from people, and broached a lot of difficult topics. I've made peace with all of those things, and I'm looking forward to the next big thing. To my next big thing. And while I'm not ready to disclose what that big thing is, what I can tell you is that, by the time this post airs, it will be finished in rough form. And if I can say so, it's a heater. My next book will be very different from value economics. It will be from a completely different point of view, talking about a very different topic, and will be much less neutral than before. My plan is to take a topic that I think needs to be discussed and drag it kicking and screaming into the light. It's going to be a dangerous book, and I can't wait for people to read it. For the biggest clue as to what that thing might be, look at the articles I wrote, books I read, and podcasts I recorded this year. But even then, I don't think most of you will be able to guess. Have a kid this shit exciting, right? Oh, and one last thing. With the timeline of my next big thing looking like debuting sometime around this point next year, time is freed up for additional projects. I'm nowhere near close to seeing what they look like in actual final form, but I'm very confident in both of them. One will look a lot like value economics and Big Thing 2, and the other will look like nothing I've ever attempted in my life. I'm not even sure what it is yet, to be honest with you. But that's the fun of it all. I plan on finishing both next year, and we'll see what happens to them in 2024, if we or I survive that long, that is. But before all those things commence, I'll be rounding out December with some more podcasts, conversations, and my list of the best books I read throughout the course of 2022. I'm excited for all of them and for the future. I hope that you'll continue to join me, and, as always, that you know I'm forever grateful that you started. Thanks for listening, guys. Own the day. Open your mind. I'll see you guys next week. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?